Grace and mercy and peace be with you, my dear friends in Christ, from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Jesus is alive. He lives. He lives. Jesus is alive, my friends. He's risen from the dead. Alleluia. Alleluia. Amen. This is Easter. Welcome. Welcome, my dear friends in Christ, into the presence of the Almighty God, ruling and reigning, risen from the dead. Because Jesus rose from the dead, everything has changed. Because Jesus is alive, you don't have to look for purpose or meaning in this life. It is finished. Because Jesus is alive, you don't have to worry about whether or not God loves you. It is finished. Because Jesus is alive, it is not your responsibility to be the only one to fix the brokenness in this world. It is finished. Jesus finished it through his death and his resurrection. It is finished. During Holy Week at our church here at Saints Peter and Paul, we have been focusing on this Greek word to telestai right up at the top. This is the word which Jesus spoke in John chapter 19, verse 30, hanging on the cross when he bowed his head, gave up his spirit, and said, it is finished. To tell us die in English is translated, it is finished. And during our Holy Week services, we've been focusing one word at a time on those words. It is finished. It is finished. When Jesus hung his head and spoke this word, he was not defeated. He was not defeated. He was not done. He was not over with. When Jesus said, it is finished, he was declaring victory and accomplishing the purpose with, with which the Father had sent him into this world. And that purpose, to save the world from its sins. Jesus finished it. He finished it for you. He finished it. For you, there's forgiveness. For you, there is love. For you, there is grace. It is finished. There's nothing that you can do to add or subtract from what he's already done for you. You are loved. You are welcome. You are valued. You have purpose. My dear friends in Christ, you are in the family of God through the grace of Jesus in his death and resurrection. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Now, it's pretty obvious, I think, to most of you that today is not just Easter Sunday. It's also another, another day, right? I got tricked by a, by a six-year-old this morning, told me my shoes were untied. Dawson, you got me good, buddy, right? It's April Fool's Day. April Fool's Day. It's April Fool's Day today. Today's the day for jokes, for pranks. And probably, probably, I haven't talked to too many of them, but probably like every other Christian preacher preaching this Sunday morning, we're probably taking advantage of this fact and telling you that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is no joke. It's no joke. We're not fooling around here. This is the real deal. This is reality. 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 Jesus rose from the dead. However, today is kind of a momentous occasion, the fact that Easter falls on April Fool's Day. Uh, this hasn't happened since 1956. It will happen again in, in 11 years, so I'll get another shot at this. I'm, I'll have teenagers at that time. I'm not looking forward to the pranks they'll probably pull on me. Uh, but because today marks kind of this momentous occasion, I figured just for fun, I scoured the internet and found a couple of Easter memes for you. So some of you probably have seen some of these before, but here's the, here's the first one. Jesus is with the children. He says, so then I was like, hey, mom, chill out. I'll be back in like three days, tops. Here's the next one. This is the face that you make when your mom tells you you're too old for an Easter basket. I relate to this because I made this face at my very own mom when I was 
in college. Uh, <laughs> for real, I did. Okay, the next one. This, this one's good for parents. Easter egg hunts prove your child can find things when they really want to. <laughs> and here's, I hope this is true out here. Uh, Easter Sunday church parking lot. Tommy's, Tommy's driving his truck all over your cars, right? Uh, in the spirit of Easter, I've decided to keep the dust bunnies. That's a good one, right? This next one is for the technologically advanced. Uh, Jesus and his disciples are having a group chat. One of you will betray me. Peter says, not me. <coughs> Judas Iscariot left the group. <laughs> and finally, da 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 back by popular demand. da 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 back by popular demand. We don't have it. Oh, it got deleted. Well, you'll have to come back again to the next service. <laughs> it's just Jesus standing outside the tomb saying, back by popular demand. All right, there you go. All right, I told you that the resurrection of Jesus is no joke, right? It's no joke. This is reality. It's not a prank. We're not fooling around. We're talking about a, a real thing, a real thing. A real man, a human, born into this world, who died on a cross, who died, beat his last breath. Uh, he, he was put in a tomb, and then on the third day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, on the third day, he was raised from the dead. And this happened in reality, in history, in a real place that's still on the map called Jerusalem, a real man really risen from the dead. But I, I just want to explore with you uh, today that let's, let's just think for a minute. Let's just say that the resurrection of Jesus was a prank. All right? let's, just, let's just explore the possibility that it could have been a prank. Because there are many people in this world who look at the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and say, ah, that's all just foolishness anyways. It's just foolishness. And actually, the scriptures speak this way about you Christian people, right? The scriptures say, Paul, the apostle Paul says uh, that the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing. For those who deny Jesus, it's, it's foolishness. Why would God die? But for those who us, for us who are being saved, it's the power of God, right? So, so the world, you know, doesn't understand uh, this resurrection thing uh, if, if we deny who Jesus is. But let's just explore the possibility. Could it have been a prank? Here's the deal. History, history itself, uh, proves that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, actually lived and that he actually died. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of sources, not just in the Bible, that this Jesus of Nazareth lived and that he died. And there are no extra-biblical sources from that time that deny the existence of Jesus. We have all kinds of other writings from that time that talk about Jesus, but any of the ones that don't support him, they don't deny him. They only try to discredit him. This is big. This is big. Because they all acknowledge the fact that Jesus was real, and they all talk about his crucifixion. So history proves the fact that Jesus of Nazareth lived and that he died. There is no way accurately and historically to prove that he didn't exist. As a matter of fact, history points the other way. So the question then really hinges on this. Did Jesus rise from the dead or did he not? And this is the thing on which all of Christianity hinges. Did Jesus rise from the dead or not? Christian people, I tell you this every Easter, but this is, we have all of our eggs literally in this basket of Jesus' resurrection. If he did not rise from the dead, if, we, if somebody finds Jesus' bones, we're locking the door to this place. You get to go do whatever it is that you want until you die because all this Christian stuff doesn't matter. All right? So this, it all hinges on this. Did Jesus rise from the dead or not? Well, let's just, let's just think about this for a minute. Let's say that somebody, somebody decided to have a little fun on Easter morning and pulled the greatest prank 
on everybody and move the body of Jesus. Because probably that's the most reasonable explanation. If Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, somebody had to have moved his body. All right? So let's just say somebody did. Who are the, who are the parties that could have even potentially done this? There's really only three choices. The Jews, the Romans, or the disciples. But why would any of these groups actually want to move the body of Jesus? Let's look at them one at a time. First of all, the Jews. Why would the Jews want to move Jesus? Why, why would the Pharisees or the chief priests, why would they want to move the body of Jesus? They were the ones who wanted him dead in the first place, correct? They were the ones who wanted him crucified. They just wanted this whole thing to be done with. And the Jews, we, we know from Scripture, were the ones who on Saturday morning went again to Pilate, and the Jews were the ones who said to Pilate, hey, Pilate, Jesus had said he would die and be raised on the third day. We don't want his disciples to come and steal his body. Therefore, we need a guard, not just one, but it's, that means a group of soldiers at the tomb. And Pilate said, take as many as you need, do what you need to do. It's the Jews who don't want the body <laughs> moved, right? So why would the Jews want to do it? It doesn't make any sense that the Jews would have moved the body. How about the Romans? It really makes no sense for the Romans as well to move the body of Jesus. Pontius Pilate, you've heard of him. He is the Roman governor at this time over, over the region. Uh, he's part of the Roman Empire. He, he's given this seat, right? It is the Roman governor's job to keep peace and stability in the society. He, he wants to do everything that he can to stop there to be a revolt or an uprising among the Jews. This is why Pilate went along with the whole crucifixion thing in the first place, right? Pilate really just wanted to wash his hands, and he did, literally, of this whole thing. He doesn't want any instability, right? Pilate, it doesn't make sense for Pilate to order the, the movement of the body of Jesus. But it actually, we have, we have a lot of scriptural evidence in the book of Matthew, um, today we're reading John. All the Gospels talk about the resurrection. Go home and read them. But in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew gives a lot of details about Jesus' resurrection. And in there talks about how the stone was knocked away, how there was this earthquake. And then, and then this, this crazy thing happens. Uh, a lot of times we don't read this part where the Roman guards uh, go back into town and have to conspire with Jewish leaders to uh, come up with something why the body of Jesus was taken. And so we have this explanation. This is um, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 11. Some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the, the soldiers took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Uh, so, so this story was spread about the, the, the soldiers, the Roman soldiers are conspiring with the Jews to come up with some kind of explanation why the body of Jesus was gone and so they're going to blame the disciples. It doesn't make sense for the Jews to move the body. It doesn't make sense for the Romans to move the body. The disciples, though, uh, the third potential group, I, out of all the groups, it probably makes most sense that they would have potentially done it if any of these groups. But the question becomes, then, how would they have done it? <laughs> how would the disciples have even accomplished this task? All right, the Romans had, a, had guards around the tomb, for one, right? Now, 
in, the, in that previous passage that I just showed you, the Romans are saying, well, we should just tell them we fell asleep and they snuck in. The potential of that actually happening is, is not that great. And plus, the stone that was in front of the tomb was incredibly heavy. One person could not move it. Two people could not move it. It would have taken a group of people. And the commotion of that noise would have been extraordinary. Now, that's just the practicality of getting into the tomb, for one. For two, though, why would they have wanted to do it? All right? Why would the disciples have wanted to? You could say, well, they wanted to prove a point that Jesus said he would be raised from the dead on the third day. And so they're just going to make sure that that uh, somehow has some sort of evidence. Well, if you pay close attention in our reading from today in the video in John chapter 20, verse 9, John and, the, and Peter, when they go to the tomb, they didn't even know, they didn't believe yet that Jesus needed to be raised from the dead. It says this, John chapter 20, verse 9, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. This is written when John and Peter go and Jesus is not there. They say, well, and then they go back home because they didn't yet understand. So if they're saying we didn't quite fully understand, why would they have moved the body? Now, on top of all of that with the disciples, these guys, if you look in the scriptures, have never seemed like the kind of guys who would put themselves out there into harm's sake for Jesus, right? Plus, eventually, in their lives, every one of these disciples is going to face severe persecution for this claim that Jesus rose from the dead. Many of them will even have their lives taken. Why in the world would a whole bunch of these guys who go to various parts of the earth never recant of a lie that they would have potentially made up? We could say a lot more about all three of these things, but I'm just going to say with what I've just said to you, it's highly unlikely that anyone stole the body of Jesus. So instead of thinking that way, let's just... Just go with me for a minute and imagine that the resurrection of Jesus actually happened in the way that the scriptures say it happened. So what do we see today? Again, we read John's, uh, or we watched John's variation. Uh, and so what did we see today? What we saw today was Mary Magdalene going to the tomb, right? Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb, probably along with some other women, and Jesus is not there. He's not there in the tomb. So Mary runs back to where Peter and John are, to where Peter and John are, and she gets them and says, they've taken the Lord. I don't know where he is. And so they run back. Mary runs, and then Peter and John run back. There's this, there's this little detail here that I just think is funny, and I have to share it with you. So John is the guy who writes this book, okay? And he's one going to the tomb. In, in his book, uh, John never refers to himself as John. It's either um, the other disciple or the one whom Jesus loved. And so, so there's this passage here that John is describing as they're running, and he says this. So Peter went out with the other disciple. So John's talking about himself. So Peter and I went out together. They were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I think that's funny because John, later on in life, is retelling the story, and he's like, just slipping it in here, Peter. Just remember, I, I got there first, okay? I just, all right. So there's, there's running back and forth, right? There's, there's anticipation, but there's fear, real fear, real worry that something serious has happened, right? There's running back and forth. There's worry, there's fear, there's anticipation. And at this point, Jesus is not there. And that's when it says that John and Peter just went back home. 
But Mary Magdalene remained at the tomb crying, 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 right? And after the angel visits her, she turns around and, and here he is, Jesus. Jesus is here. The, Mary just saw him a few days ago hanging on a cross, bleeding, dying. She watched as he hung his head and gave up his spirit. He's here. And she watched as they took his body and laid it in a tomb and wrapped it up in burial clothes and sealed the tomb. But he's here. He's here. This is an absolutely remarkable revelation if you imagine yourself to be there. Imagine it. Imagine it. Jesus appears first to Mary Magdalene. First to Mary Magdalene. And the fact that he appears to Mary Magdalene and the other women, this is a remarkable scene. Historically significant. Uh, Significant for the message of what Jesus is doing. Not to diminish any women here with us today, but this was a patriarchal society, right? Jesus is not allowed, as, as we talked on Good Friday, even to speak with a woman publicly who's not his wife. And so the fact that Jesus chooses first to reveal himself to women, to utilize the women to be the messengers of the gospel, in this we see that Jesus Christ's purpose was to come for all people, to save all people from their sins. His purpose was to accomplish the salvation of the world. Now just think about this. Because we believe that the resurrection of Jesus is real and true, here's what it means for you. Just listen closely. Because Jesus rose, here's what it means. It means that everything that Jesus ever said is true. It does. Because Jesus said he would die and he said he would rise and he actually did that. Now, if somebody can actually die and rise and say that they're going to do that, automatically that validates any other statement that he ever made in his life. Wouldn't you say so? And if you look at the statements of Jesus that he made in his life, and if you look at the things that Jesus did in his life, I tell you, all of those things are very, very good for you. I don't know why anyone would want to deny these claims of Jesus because it's very good for you, for your families, for your neighborhoods, for this country, for this world. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means this. It means that Jesus came to save sinners of who I, your pastor, am the worst. And so are you. We share the bottom of the barrel in our sin. If we are humble enough to confess the fact that we are broken sinners, the grace of Jesus Christ will come flowing into our lives to forgive and restore us. The message of the gospel is that Jesus came into this world to seek the lost and the least and to welcome them into the family of God. Jesus Christ came into this world to rescue and redeem and welcome the outcasts and the awkward, the estranged and the eccentric. Jesus came into this world for the brokenhearted and the beaten down and to bind up their wounds. Jesus Christ has come for you. If he can rise from the dead, he is with you and is victorious over what it is you face today. And the resurrection of Jesus points us forward to the ultimate culmination of all things. Jesus has promised he's going to come once and for all. He's coming again. 
He's coming again. And because we can trust the claims of Jesus, we can trust that he's going to come again. And when he comes again, he will usher into this world a new kingdom, a new heaven, a new earth. A paradise restored, you can think Garden of Eden, but even better, even bigger than that. This story of salvation is huge. This story of Jesus is for you and for me, but it's so much bigger than us. It's so much bigger than us. Wouldn't you desire to be part of a worldwide peace movement? Wouldn't you desire to see warfare end in enemies sit down together and enjoy a beverage together? Wouldn't you like for the violence and the bickering and the innocent death to be over with? Welcome to the resurrection. It is coming. It is coming. Jesus Christ has ushered in that day, and it will come to completion on the day that he returns. When Christ returns, all will be made new. Now, friends, having laid that out for you, I tell you today, as I stand before you, I don't know what you want to do, but for me, for me, at least until they find Jesus' bones or he returns from his heavenly throne, I'm going to claim that the resurrection of Jesus actually happened because I gain nothing if it's not true. But if it is true, it changes everything. It gives us purpose for living. If Jesus rose, I have a reason to wake up in the morning and love my family. If Jesus rose from the dead, I have a reason to selflessly serve my neighbor. If Jesus rose, I have a reason to fight for the least and the lost and the marginalized. And it's for those reasons that this story goes on. Easter affects things. And so next Sunday, I invite you to come back. We're going to continue this story. We're starting a new sermon series called Easter Affects. Called Easter Affects. And what we'll be doing is talking about how Easter affects us from our work to our families to the way that we care for this creation. We will be diving into these and very, uh, various other topics, very purposeful and powerful and practical applications for the resurrection of Jesus. But for now, I tell you again boldly today, Jesus is alive. It is finished. Sin is finished. Satan is finished. Death is finished. Jesus is alive. You are forgiven. He is with you. He is alive, and because he is alive, you are alive in him. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.